MYP fam, welcome to another episode. And today's episode is with Esprit DeVore. She hosts a couple of shows, the We Are LA Tech podcast and Women in Tech show. And on this episode, we talk about ways that you can use social media. We talk about how to create community. And we also talk about some opportunities that podcasters might be missing out on. She's really fun and I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation. And she mentions a program that's actually going right now, but I believe you can still join. So if you want to get connected with her, we'll put all the links in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get into today's interview with Esprit Devora of the We Are LA Tech podcast. Esprit, welcome yeah. to the MYP show. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me. Esprit, <laughs> it's, this, this show is kind of a, a selfish yeah. thing for me because there's not very many people, actually in my real life, there's very few people that I could talk podcasts and get geeked out about podcasts. All, yeah. all you know, and as much as the guests and the people on our show, and so I'm excited to chat with you. And and I've been following you for a little bit on on Twitter and and some of the other um, social profiles that you have, and and just um, so honored and excited to be here with you today. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is this is just so cool. You know, one of the things that, and I think this is in alignment with what we're going to talk about. One of the things that really frustrates me in the podcasting ecosystem is a lot of people who want to be guests on shows, they are constantly asking podcasts, like, like vetting them, like how many listeners do you have or whatever? It's just like F off. Like I, I don't care if someone has zero listeners or like millions of listeners, as long as your mission is in alignment with what I stand for and what I believe in. Like I'll be on anyone's show who is putting out positivity and value into the world. Like, I never, ever, 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 ever ask how many listeners do you have? Like you could have a million listeners right now or you could have zero either or I'm, I like I feel so grateful that you would invite me to be a part of your world and your mission. And so I find it's really irritating that other people are like, I don't know, they're just not thinking about it in the right way, I feel like. Yeah. And podcasts are so... It's unfortunate now that they are so trendy because there's all these money and acquisitions and the Spotify's yeah. and whatever. And, and there's also a lot of people looking in to come in and, and take advantage of whether it be creators or audiences. And so it's refreshing to hear you, someone who has a significant platform and people who listen and care about what they say, talk about the need for some humanity in yeah. in the space because I think that gets lost with the downloads and the CPMs and the all, all these types of things. Totally. I was really drawn to your sh show for a couple of reasons. First off, is I'm uh, very much a, a, a tech nerd and, and geek, so I, I very much love that space. But I also I was sharing before we recorded that I am a, a big fan of people or not people, but women who are creating a space to share stories about other women. My wife has a digital publication. It's like a online magazine and, and her thing is called She's Legendary. And it's all about sharing female founded businesses and female led yeah. companies. And the there's just not, un unfortunately, there's, there's not, not a lot of that. There's not a lot of it. And so it's great when someone is able to, to do this. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell me, take uh, us through the story. Tell us how it happened yeah. and, and, and what, you know, what you have going on. I think it's really important. So I had a very heavy influence of technology growing up from my father. And I 
went off and I built the first action sports social network, having been on computers early on and just being exposed to that world. I was into skateboarding and surfing and all this stuff. And so I built the first action sports social network and I raised money and all, all these things that I didn't really see as accolades at the time. I was just creating my reality. Later in my career, when I discovered like women in tech groups, I was like, oh, cool. Other people like me, because when I got into technology, there weren't a lot. There wasn't a lot of community there. I don't think there was really any community. I had to like hunt it down, you know, and it's not popular the way it is now with TV shows and everything else about startups. So when I started to see these women in tech groups, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then when I went to these meetups, The conversation was always about everything that was against women and how much was not possible. I'm like, oh, it was the first time I had ever even been exposed to like limitations that weren't self-limiting beliefs. Like I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to raise money. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to build (laughs) a tech company. Like I didn't know I was defying stats. I was just going after life. And I'm like, I wonder if I had all these limiting stats in my mind, if I would have created blocks for myself that didn't need to exist because my reality would have been, oh, it's not possible for women, like da, 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 da. So I wanted to create a positive piece of content to show examples of what's possible. So to so listeners could believe it in themselves more and just go after it. I think there's a lot of great forums to talk about, you know, things that need to be improved systemically, but there's not a lot of places to show like what is being done and what is possible and who is achieving what and what resources and mentorship they access in order to get to where they are. So I went off and I did that. And I remember when I first started, one of my friends was like, you're already so busy. Why would you do this? I'm just like, what? It was the craziest question that he would say, why would you do this? Like, why would I serve a very purposeful life? Like, I felt like that's what I was being asked because I think he was asking me, why would you do this? It takes so much time. What's the ROI at the time? Podcasting wasn't even pop. This was between 2014 and 2015 that I launched my third show. I was already podcasting, but this particular subject matter of women in tech. But yeah, I just felt like, no, like I, I want to share this story of other, you know, women like me around the world who have done awesome stuff and sh- show the example. Like there's this guy that ran the four minute mile. And before he ran the four minute mile, no one ran the four minute mile. The first year he ran the four minute mile, all of a sudden around 30 something people also ran the four minute mile just because they saw it was possible. It's so powerful when we expand our mind, um, what we can achieve. And why, I guess my question, why, not why would you do it, but why did you choose podcasting in a time where podcasting was not popular or sexy and in a time where I've been trying to get my wife to start a podcast and for as long as we've been together and she's she's very <laughs> resistant to that so why why the that medium and what did you see you know what what did you see as as the vision or or sure. what were you what kind of faith did you have in what it could become that you know allowed sure. you to persist through that yeah so i built 
that action sports social network and I got hacked and I had to reinvent my company into a media network. So I used my high school journalism knowledge in order to create an action sports media company. I wanted to be the CNN of action sports. And that's a whole other long story. But over time, I became a producer and a, I guess a filmmaker or whatever you call it. I don't know. I was just doing stuff. And then people would be like, oh, you're a producer. I'm like, what's that? You know? Um, well, you were and, like, a, what is today like a content creator, right? But I mean, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just, that wasn't I mean, like there, a thing back then. No, I was just going after life. And so later in my career, I wanted to utilize these media skills that I had developed during my action sports to champion other startups in the Los Angeles tech ecosystem. So I went out and I produced a video series called We Are LA Tech. This was about 2012. I shot 12 episodes. I had a partner. And unfortunately, the partner didn't share the same work ethic I had and didn't complete any of the episodes. We shot all of them. And I was devastated. And that process of them not being done was a year process of like being told they'd be done every single week. And they were just never done. And I was just absolutely heartbroken. And I never, I never wanted to like rely on like a a video editor again. And, but it wasn't at that moment that I discovered podcasting. I was still in the kind of like flux stage of like trying to figure out where am I going to go from here? And I flew to, to go on a backpacking trip to visit a design conference in Amsterdam with a bunch of other startups. At this point, like startup still wasn't like a big thing. So I was like seeking out these communities. And I ended up meeting with Mark Kohlberger, who's the founder. I don't know if I'm butchering his last name. He's one, he's one of my good friends, but I always butcher his last name. He's the founder of Betalist. But at the time, we weren't friends. I was just a customer of Betalist. And he introduced me to podcasting. He's like, oh, you should check this out. It's really cool. Not for my company or anything, just like this cool thing that was on his iPhone at the time I was an Android user. I'm like, oh, wait, that's, that's super cool. I think I listened to podcasts. I had already been listening to po two podcasts, but I didn't know what a podcast was. I just found this cool thing, Justin Jackson's Pod People and this other one called Podcasts. And I would just like transfer the audio files to my phone or to my computer. You know, like it was like super gorilla. And so I started listening to podcasting and I was like, ah. with my production, a bit like producing ability, storytelling ability, I think I could produce audio episodes and that way I don't have to rely on everything that's needed for editing like color video editing like color correction and I mean video editing is just really hard you have it's a really hard skill to develop there's a lot of elements involved so I'm a self-taught audio editor and or producer I don't know what it is I just did the thing I tried to tell a story I still don't really know how my audio program works. I found this program called Sound Studio and I just taught it to myself. It's like iMovie, but for audio. And it was amazing. And I I don't know what all the functionality is, but I know what I need. <laughs> and I did it really well to the point that one of the largest podcast networks said, we've been listening to your show. This is early on. And we could tell how much time you invest into producing and editing a really great, really great episodes, keep it up. And at the time it was taking me on average about 40 hours to edit one episode. And yeah, totally self-taught. I met with Alex Bloomberg around that time too, who created the podcast startup and later founded Gimlet Media. He too said, hey, listen, when I first started, it took like the same amount of time, really long, just keep going with practice. You'll get faster and faster, you know? 
And that is what happened. Eventually I ended up hiring editors so that I could produce, you know, more content. But, but yeah, the, I saw podcasting as like, I think this medium is going to follow the trajectory of YouTube. And I had one of the first large YouTube channels at the time. And this was different. This is before any, this was still like cat videos. So I was putting my sports videos on YouTube because I wanted a free place to like hold my video files. I wasn't like trying to be, there wasn't such a thing as being a YouTuber, you know? And like some of them just got like a ton of views. And so I was there for like the come up of YouTube and become a YouTube creator and seeing like what happened with all my peers and, and the importance of collaborations. I'm like, oh, like that's, dude, podcasting will probably follow that same trajectory. So I remember I was working this contract job at the time and I really adored the company. I still have a relationship with them. And I said, you guys need to start a podcast channel for your company. Like this is going to be the thing. They're like, nah, 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 nah. I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast. So I made that We Are LA Tech video series into a podcast. And that was my first podcast. And, and then within a month, I was number one on Apple. And then, and then around that month mark, Startup came out. And I like hustled. I hustled that. So all that stuff, like meeting Alex and all of that, I had already launched by then because I, I was like, I need to meet that, that host of the Startup podcast, you know? And so, yeah, that's the journey of teaching myself how to become a podcaster. And then I just got lucky that now the whole world wants a podcast. I was just, I got lucky with timing. I, and I don't know how I feel about the stat that says one in 10 people in UK are going to start a podcast this year. I don't know how to feel. Oh, like I that. hadn't heard that. Yeah. Probably. I don't, I don't know what that says about English people or I, or <laughs> I don't know, but I, and I, and also, you know, being in, in the industry and having a podcast marketing agency, like it get, makes me excited because yeah. the demand is, is going up. But one thing that I'm curious about, and I try and ask this with all the people who yeah. have had shows for a significant amount of time is that what, what do you think is the same since then? And then what's, what's mm. different? Because a lot of our audience has jumped into podcasting in the last year, two years. Yeah. So, so what can they take away from what you've, you know, what yeah. you experienced back then? Well, I can answer this in so many ways. One way is the technology and accessibility for podcasting. It's so, it's, it's accessible period today. Whereas like when I started podcasting, it still wasn't in cars. You still needed an iPhone. Like it wasn't, easily and there wasn't an automatic app on your phone with podcasting yeah you we had to download it on itunes like put yeah. put it i remember i downloaded oh what is his name he was the famous dj i was i was downloading like three hour club mixes you know because yeah. that's tiesto tiesto he was that's, he, that's what it was <laughs> it was great tiesto. he has great club mixes on a podcast he does it was one of the first and then and you kind of went down the rabbit hole but that's what you had to do is you had to you know download them on your computer and then transfer them onto your your ipod yeah 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 so it's just it's accessible today which means there's a larger market i think the misconception is that like podcasting is too um, saturated. So it's hard. There's millions of podcasts and the majority of those podcasts are graveyard podcasts where people have pod fade and they quit podcasting. So you can't really count that just because there's millions of podcasts, it doesn't mean there's millions of podcasters actively podcasting. And I do think there's competition for attention from YouTube to social audio and this kind of thing. 
I think the thing that is the most vital, and this isn't a direct answer to your exact question, which is like what's changed then and now, but I think it's important to the, the ecosystem of the question is the most important thing to pay attention to is building the community for your podcast. And community does not necessarily mean a social network like a Facebook group or whatever. A community could mean a myriad of things. Just, just build that community because that's your listenership. That's your evangelist. That's your ambassador team. So if you're not building a community and you don't have a reason for people to come back to your show, if you're not being really thoughtful of like what is the point of listening to your show, like how do you want to make your listener feel? Why are they coming back? How are they staying involved in your ecosystem? Are you solely relying on um, on social audiograms? Or like are you proactively integrating yourself into your community of potential listeners so that they're consistently exposed to the brand of your podcast over and over again? Community is such a buzzword that yeah. I'm afraid it's – it's almost gone the way of of like content marketing, right? It's like you know, yeah. it, it almost loses its definition because yeah. it's so ubiquitous. I think it's the right word. Yeah. So, for people, I've had multiple podcasters say like, "What? Like what? Like how? How do I create community? Like what are? Yeah. What are some things like either tactically that you've done or, or think things that people can sure. actually, you know, take action on to cultivate a community? Sure. I'm so glad you asked. There's a zillion different ways. One, these are off the top of my head. One, create a newsletter. So then you have everybody's email list and your community is just the news. You could have something like a circle group, which is a platform that's sort of like Slack. And then you could essentially, when I say create a community, you want to own the relationship. You want to know who literally the individual who is listening to you and why and so with circle you could have a community that way the reason why i don't like social platforms like facebook group or circle or this kind of stuff is because i'm not really looking to be like a free group moderator <laughs> and so and and i don't think other people are looking to sign up for yet another network so having a community does not mean having a social network it just means owning your relationships and knowing exactly the identity of your audience. So you could do that through an SMS group, like using simple texting is a great company to use. That's very affordable. You could do that. Like I said, with the newsletter, you could, if you wanted to, you could do it with a circle group. You could do it on a Twitter list if you wanted to, or, you know, Twitter just launched communities and you could have a private community. Like I know I have a private community for we are Light tech right now. You could do it that way. Essentially, how are you owning your your audience and your potential audience so that when you have useful things to share that are not merely promotion, but you can integrate into yourself into the conversation and the brand of your podcast repopulates again and again, it's going in, in front of the eyeballs of your current listenership and your potential listeners. Yeah. And that does not mean posting social audiograms. You've mentioned that twice. And I'll, I'll share with you, I built my podcast marketing agency off of audiograms, you know, four, four years yeah. ago when nobody knew how to do an audiogram. I was, it, was, yeah. it was how we built our business. I almost never, we almost don't do that at all today. And it's almost something I, I never recommend in, you know, in, our, in consulting sessions or with clients. You feel pretty strongly about that, though. What, what's behind that and, and why? And, and also, maybe you could share some, some insteads. 
Yeah, so I do use audiograms. I just don't use them in the way that most people use them. So what most people do is they create audiograms and they put them into a social schedule scheduler and then they post and their feeds look really scammy and it's just a bunch of promo posts for these clips and with like maybe you added some text, maybe you didn't and then you're wondering why no one's engaging or sharing with them. It's because th are they valuable really? What, what, how I use audiograms is I use them in our guest campaigns. I send the audiograms as a memento of the episode to our guests. I don't tell them to share it. They can do whatever they'd like with it. Some of them do share it. Some of them don't. I don't track who does or who doesn't. It's very exciting. I notice a lot of people do share it like on LinkedIn, for example, because it helps elevate their thought leadership and it helps tell a story to their audience. So essentially, I'm making my guest lives easier for them to share something that makes them look good. So I use them in guest campaigns and I don't mind using them. Like, let's say somebody has a question on the internet. I don't mind clipping a piece of my podcast to answer their question. So I don't have a problem with social audiograms or audiograms. I have a problem with like auto scheduling promotional. I think, I think social strategy is 90% or higher engagement. And I'll share what engagement means and 10% or lower of, of social posting. I think engagement, like for example, my Los Angeles group, every day I reach out to X number of people a day based on certain hashtags. And I send them a personal message proactively looking at their content. That's, it's not light. It, it's not just liking and it's very little liking. It's like conversations. How many conversations am I partaking in in a meaningful, genuine way every day with a targeted audience that relates to the eco the ecosphere of my business? Yeah, we we do that a lot, too. And that's something that we found is really helpful just for popping up on people's radars. Can you talk? You, you mentioned specific hashtags. I like Twitter because it makes it easy for it. Can you just talk a little bit more about that process if someone wants, because I think that's a great way to get started. It's low yeah. barrier to entry. Like what, what do you, what does that look like for you when you're going in and doing engagement? Sure. So it's different for each platform. So the ones I think about, I probably think about Facebook the least, but I think about Facebook. There's also Pinterest is really great. That's really underutilized for podcasters. I think about LinkedIn. I think about LinkedIn a lot lately. There's a great analytic tool for LinkedIn called shieldapp.ai. So I think about LinkedIn, I think about Twitter, the analytic tool for Twitter that I think is really cool is ILO.so. But if you Google ILO, you find it. And yeah, so LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook. Oh, and Instagram, of course. T so talk to Instagram, me about Pinterest. We haven't talked about, yeah. about Pinterest. Almost our most popular episode is how to market your podcast on Instagram. And I am becoming less bullish on it as a viable option. But I'm very curious about Pinterest. So I'd love to know what, what you're seeing there. Sorry. Yeah, Pinterest is really like a billboard for your podcast episodes. It's the one place for social grams that you should be posting all your social grams. And I think the majority of us podcasters aren't posting every single one of our social grams to Pinterest. It's just it's pretty much as simple as that. Because it's a video, they've, they've switched a lot more to video sharing and video consumption. I don't know if I'm people are as aware of that. Yeah, I don't know. That's not really what attracted me to it. Uh, whether it's photo or video, it doesn't matter. Just are you are you showing showcasing your episode? Mm -hmm. Every single episode you have on Pinterest, and and there's just I think it's called Tailwind 
is a great way to schedule everything to Pinterest. So you could, for the most part, automate a lot of the process in Pinterest. And we just don't think about it. I think most, I think the majority of people thinking about Pinterest are, are like fashion or design moms trying to figure out like interior design or, you know, like that's who's thinking about Pinterest, but podcasters really should be prioritizing it. Especially yeah. if you have a, a women focused content. Yeah. And I've, I've read some studies that more and more men are, are climbing onto On it Pinterest? too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. One question that I was really curious on and what you thought about was a niche and it seems yeah. like you you got it right you struck yeah. a, a a niche that resonates with a lot of people and also yeah. there is not a an abundance either of of people putting out the, the stories that you're telling so what what has that played? How what kind of role has that played into it? And also, how has it evolved, if at all, over the years? So I I do have a thoughtful response for you, but because I have three brands, I'm curious when you're thinking Esprit, you have a niche. Which niche is coming to mind? Because I don't know which one of my brands you're thinking. Well, about. that's interesting for me. The tech I thought tech was kind of the umbrella, but yeah. more focusedly, I think we connected around the women in tech one, and so so I think that tech, the tech space, seems to be your at least what I've gathered, kind yes. of your your niche. Yeah. So I I have a different. This is something that I have not done well over my career. My career started with a tag. Well, it didn't start, but at some point I developed the tagline, the girl who gets it done. It, it was given to me and it became my tagline. The problem with that tagline is it's memorable, but what am I getting done? Or like, it's more hireable to say, Esprit the world WordPress girl. <laughs> oh, hire her for WordPress, you know? And so... I think the niche kind of starts at the the tagline, like what do you want to be known as? There's this guy that goes by Alex in books. He thoughtfully wanted to be known as the book guy. So what what is the X thing you want to be known for? And so he's developed this whole brand around being the book guy. Even I just remembered Alex in books. When I think about my brands now, I, I do thoughtfully think about with each brand, what does the brand stand for? And like, what's, what's the value of the content related to that brand? And how do I stay within those boundaries? And because we could all have audience, let's say we have a, a large audience, but let's say our large audience is just interested in pizza and we're posting about jet fuel. No one's going to buy the jet fuel. They, they just want the pizza. So it's like, if we don't have a match between what our audience wants and what we're giving out there's not going to be conversion. There's not going to be listenership. There's not going to be customers. So I do my best to now thoughtfully filter out the audience that doesn't relate to what helps my business thrive, but in the most authentic, genuine way. And it's a very delicate balance. I really respect the journey of being a vulnerable leader. So I'll share my process of being a creator and being an entrepreneur which is not like on my personal brand. And that is not necessarily podcast education. 
But like, I don't know, I imagine Hector that you've been to the podcast education profiles that people have and they're annoying. They feel spammy. And you're like, what am I looking at with your the templated design? I'm not trying to market myself as a podcast educator. I am trying to, in my personal brand, I am trying to have a boundary to what is the point of even following me. It's like, okay, well, the point of following is free is I'll get some inside information on what's happening in the podcast industry and I'll feel more community and connection in the process of being a creator, you know? And then what does that, what does all of that mean to the outcome that helps my business thrive? So I'm thinking about all these elements with each brand, how I invest my time, what kind of content I post, what's working, what's not working, what I want to delegate, what I don't want to delegate. Yeah. So in creating the niche, what do you want to be known for? And are you consistent with the content you're publishing? Does it relate to what you want to be known for? Are you going off the rails? One thing you've I've gathered from not only you, but a lot of you know, these gurus or educators or whatever. But one thing that comes up is the best way to grow a show is to make a better show. And I think that that yeah. sometimes gets lost and forgotten in in all of this is just the ability to to actually create something that is enjoyable. And so mm -hmm. for you, was it intuitive to create that that kind of show market fit? I think one thing that you've even, I don't know if it's intuitive or, or something that you did intentionally, but was trying to think about the the feelings and the emotions that you want your listeners to experience. Yeah. I think, I think I understand it now reverse engineering what I did by mistake, but in the beginning when I created we are LA tech, it was inspired because being a founder is hard and isolating. And there were days where I wouldn't sleep for weeks and I'd be crying in my office wanting to quit. Like it was, it was hard hard. It's hard to be a founder. And we have to look perfect all the time. And there's just a lot about all of that mishmash. And I wanted, I wanted to create a connective environment, essentially to serve my younger self, you know? And so I was like, what, like, if I wanted to plug into community, how could I do that with ease? And so that's the point of the We Are LA Tech podcast is, no matter where you are in the world, if you want to plug into like who to know and where to go in Los Angeles, you listen to the We Are LA Tech podcast and you could get there really fast to have that information. With women in tech, the, the, the aspiration is uh, the listener walks away feeling if she can do it, so can I, right? Why? Because like that was my journey. Like I want to, sh I had examples thanks to maybe belief from my father that like, I could achieve things. So I just want to show like, look, there's a lot of women doing a lot of great things. We don't have to like match a statistic, you know? And so, but I don't think I did that with intent. It just came from a very authentic place, but now reverse engineering it. It was, this, it was so smart that I did that. Yeah. I wish you did a better job. I was living in LA. I moved down to Orange County now and I was living, I went to LMU and I think you, when did you start the show? 2014. I that's what it was. I graduated in 2013, so that's that's why we yeah. missed it. 
But my mom says half of the world is searching for the other half of the world. They just don't know how to find each other. So my job as a founder is I need to continually get better at creating bridges. Your mom is a wise woman. <laughs> Let's talk about managing multiple shows because yeah. I think it's something that not not a ton it. of people do, <laughs> but but selfishly, yeah. you know, I I produce six shows and my own. And so I, it's, it is, yeah, I don't know that I recommend it. It, it is the full-time job, thankfully. Yeah. But um, what's that been like? Why did Hard. you decide to, <laughs> to, to, to start another show? And then, you know, looking back on it, if, if you said you don't recommend it, but what have you learned throughout that process or, or what do you, you take away now? Well, it's that word process. I think the very first thing that we should lead with as creators is creating a process that's sustainable, that energizes us. And that's not something I did when I started. To me, I'm an artist first and a business person second. So for me, podcasting is painting audio. I create podcasts because there's a story that I am just drawn to share. It's why I have an NFT podcast that I'm launching. It's why I have another podcast called Brag. I have too many podcasts, but like, it's because that's the artistic side of me that like has a need to share this story with a very powerful mission behind it. But I don't recommend it because it's a lot of work and it would probably be a lot more successful for people in general to go all in on one show. Like Joe Rogan doesn't have 50 podcasts. Alex Cooper doesn't have 50 podcasts, The Caller Daddy or Joe Rogan. You know, like to be a thriving business person, have one podcast. But I, I'm an artist. My podcasts are artistic expression. So I have several. My main anchor shows are We Are LA Tech and Women in Tech. They're, they're my successful, popular shows that have the sponsors and everything. But I keep creating podcasts because they're artistic expression. Yeah. It's so just processes. You have to have like dialed in processes. And let me tell you, the more podcasts that I'm out of my mind to create, the better I better be the most 10 out of 10 master of processes because it's really hard to keep up. Yeah. Keeping up with one is is enough. The more that you add on, it gets it can get crazy. Although yeah. one thing since we're we're sharing it and just for anybody who's made it this far on the recording, you are a, a kindred soul. Airtable has been something has been the biggest yeah. blessing for my life. Totally. And, and managing all all the production and promotion and stuff like that. Yeah. My my Airtable alternative is Notion. I was going to ask what what kind of tools or or what's kind of your tech stack look like to oh, keeping gosh, sane. I'm in love with tools. I have so many. I'm really I'm really upping my game on Notion. I'm a diehard Basecamp customer. I've been with Basecamp since the beginning. I'll probably never leave. So that's what we use as our main project manager. We also use Trello. Um, we have a combination because Basecamp doesn't have the Kanban boards, which I need. And then I do a lot of just overall project planning in Notion. I wouldn't say that's the most efficient tech stack. I'm just a very like loyal like fangirl of <laughs> like 37 Signals is what it used to be called. So like I get, you know, I form a relationship with certain tools and then I'm just in and yeah. But I, I think it's important not to get caught up in the tools and so to ask yourself, like, I mean, definitely get caught up in Zapier or autom automate.io or any of those alternatives. That's something to get caught up in. If you don't know Zapier or automate, those are essential for anything else T that you tell use. Me, tell me more how you think a podcaster could use, because I don't know that I'm 
getting the most out of it. So I'm curious how you how you integrate Zapier into podcasting. Well, well, I'll I'll even just talk about not even just the podcast, just one a Zap I just set up the other day, so it's top of mind. Is I'm doing a podcasting cohort as an experiment. I'm doing 30 days of podcasting, 30 episodes in 30 days in under 30 minutes a day. Right? It's just an experiment. I'm only doing it once. I don't want to do it over and over. And I really believe in personalization. Like I don't believe it, that people are like some email address or something. I like they're human. It's like, well, how do I do this so it's not going to drive me crazy? So the automation that I set up is people sign up for the cohort. It, I use the Typeform. So it's, I think it's typeform.com or typeform.co. It's one of those. Anyway, I use Typeform. Typeform integrates with my Notion. So all that information from the Typeform then goes to Notion. It also is synced to Zapier. And I set up in Zapier to send me a text message to my phone when someone signs up with their social handles and how they discovered the cohort. And then immediately when I get a text message, I just click on the link and I send a personal message to them right away, which I could also automate if I wanted to, but I don't want to. Yeah. And I would be able to automate that in Zapier because I could tell Zapier like, hey, when this person signs up, message them to this field, like whether it's their Twitter or whatever. But I, I don't want to like I want it to be me coming genuinely from me. Yeah. And so what you are doing is you are getting, and these people who are signing up, they're getting the, they're basically signing up for the, to get the episodes when they release. No, 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 no. So I just, I just set that up this week. So it was top of mind that I'm doing a podcasting cohort, like an educational thing where I'm, I think eight countries right now in it, where they're learning how to podcast. It's for people who are absolutely new at podcasting. And I'm taking them through a 30 days creating 30 episodes in 30 days. And so in order to do this, I, I systemize the, the uh. I don't think you really call it the onboard, the sign-up process. I systemize the sign-up process so it's easier on me and I could stay really organized and oversee all these people because it's just an experiment I'm doing on my own. So it's a lot of work, you know? So in order to handle that, I have technology talk to each other. Yeah, so fun. Yeah. It's a... Uh... It's so fun. We yeah. uh, sh- we should do a, a a whole thing on on Zapier and automations totally. because I I like Airtable because it it's it kind of combines some of those things, but it can get kind of in the weeds for for I would say most people. It can kind of get yeah. over their heads. But like so, what I just shared about this whole cohort setup, apply that to your podcast. And uh, anyway, I, the ones I set up for my podcast are so many years ago that I can't like recall them right now but apply them to your podcast when you're thinking about like, essentially this is okay. If I was about to send you, Oh, here's a perfect one. So many people, I speak at a lot of events. This may have even been for your podcast. I don't remember. So many people ask me for my headshots and my bio over and over. Right. I used to like go over to my notepad to copy and paste my bio and then Dropbox to grab the link. No, I set up a a keyboard shortcut. I'm just in Apple. I mean, it's better to use a program like Text Expander, which I have that too. I don't know why I don't use it. I just haven't. But like I, I just set it up in my Apple settings. Like here's my bio. Here's the link to my Dropbox. So now I just do semicolon headshot and semicolon bio and it just populates and it's done in just a few seconds. Whereas before I'd have to go open my notepad application, copy, da, da, da. So when you're doing anything, like if, if like throughout the whole process, continually ask yourself, 
is this some, is there a, a quicker, faster way that I could make this process more fluid? So like when people ask for my bio, am I, like, is there something that's coming up again and again and again where I need to respond with the exact same thing? How can I make this? Anything in your podcast production, a lot of times like you'll have, like if you upload an episode to Dropbox, it could ping someone on your team if you're using the right program to ping someone on your team. And then when that person's done, it could ping someone else to create the artwork. And when that's done, it could ping... Like you could set up all these systems so you don't have extra management going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, that stuff allows, I think a lot of people, they don't see the value in it because it's complicated or they have to learn a system, but it, it sounds too structured. But I find that those things actually allow for people to be more creative and to be 100%. more. 100%. Yeah. Be more 100%. It's just, it's just robbing our time. Like I'm not taking any of the human out of these automations. I'm only things that are administrative, taking out the time that I'm doing extra administrative work. Right. Right. Yeah. Spree, we are, I am so grateful for the the time that you spent with us. I am also grateful that the kids have not woken up and they've not busted through the door either. So the, the universe is collaborating for us. You have a couple of shows. The one that I listen yeah. to is Women in Tech podcast. It's yeah. on all the top ones. It's you also have We Are LA Tech, and then there's yes. another few ones. Or where should people go if they want to get connected? With you? I'm really proud of a show that I don't produce anymore because the production time was too long. Hello, customer, where I would interview large brands like Levi's and Zappos, how they deliver extraordinary customer experience. The reason I stopped producing that one is, you know, when you're working with a large brand, you have to go through PR teams, and then they cancel three times until the interview actually happens. Talking points and all this stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, but there's a few. Honestly, if you just Google me at Esprit Devora anywhere on social. You could even email me esprit at hey.com, esprit at hey.com. Um, happy to ask your questions, whatever you need to know. But yeah, just message me anywhere. It's womenintech.fm. We are latech.fm. And if you don't have a website for your podcast, use PodPage because like that is the biggest way people find your podcast today is Google search engine. Don't rely on Spotify and Apple and all these other players. Like you must have a website for your podcast. I love it. Go find her. Go get connected. And uh, Esprit, just keep being a, an amazing soul. Oh, thanks. Remember, your intuition is your oracle. Oof, I love it. We'll see you guys on the next one. Hey, MYP fam. Thanks so much for listening today. I want to encourage you to come out and find me on Twitter. It's Hector underscore podcast. And give me a follow. Send me a message rant, rave, complain, anything that you would like to do. But I want your feedback and I want to know what you are going through. Send me your questions, send me your thoughts, send me your ideas, send me your topics, and we'll try and have you here on the show. Or if you have a great story that you want to share here on the show, let me know. Or if there's someone out there that you think would be a good guest, we want to have them on. So that is Hector underscore podcast. And thanks again for listening to the MYP show. We'll see you on the next one.